Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton, and with me this evening is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy. Uh, and I also have brought on, I say I, we have also brought on a special guest today, Mr. Ben Canellis, also known as Sir Weenie. Hello. Hi, ben. I play any color. It doesn't really matter to me. Oh, you're one of those. Do you have a preferred <laughs> color? Um, I try to grab red or blue so that I'll pay attention to them, but I constantly get those mixed mixed up in my head. I probably should have a preferred color because it would make things easier. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, like if you have a preferred color like I do, whenever you're not that color, whenever you're trying to be kind and give it to somebody else, then it really jacks with you. Exactly. And my problem is I prefer, if I can, to go purple. And not many games include purple, so that's always a struggle. I end up moving the wrong piece a lot. I oh, you know what? I actually grab the, the, the color black quite often because people don't seem to mm. want it. And it's a non-color, so it doesn't make it seem like a preferred color. So that's, yeah, that's ah. actually what I do. I grab the color black. I feel like black, gray, and white are those colors. But especially yeah, yeah. black and gray, yeah. I try to grab the neutral. Uh, and it also, since I'm learning so many new games because I constantly play uh, new games, it makes it easier for me to hide what I'm doing on the board because the black pieces are usually harder to see. Ah, <laughs> sneaky. That's some like meta, meta gaming. I'm going to get into this whole social deduction part. It adds a whole new element. That does ha- add a whole new... <laughs> Deceivery. <laughs> Super deception. Uh, so I should say, this is a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort. I guess what we should do is introduce Ben more than just saying it is Ben. So Ben is a board game designer. Uh, I know you've heard us talk about him because we reviewed Bitten on our podcast, which, by the way, Ben, I don't know if you know this, but we're like 99% sure Bitten was our first ever review copy. Oh, really? Yeah, we were so excited whenever you sent that our way. It was like our first four or five months into doing the podcast, and we're like, oh, we got a review copy. (laughs) I'm so glad I could make that happen. Totally. And it's a great game, which I know we've talked about that before. (laughs) Uh, But Ben has also designed Three Laws of Robotics, which is a game that we very much enjoy, put out through Floodgate. And it's one that we got to review. Well, not review. Uh, Well, we did did review it on the podcast. We play tested it. But we play tested it uh, before it came out. I think it was our first Gen Con, wasn't it? Or second Gen Con. I think it was our second Gen Con. Second Gen Con. Yeah. I think so. And then uh, you also have Red Scare. Which is a communist game that I absolutely love. And then, I don't know if I told you, but congrats on the successful Vampire the Masquerade Blood Feud Kickstarter. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, just uh, waiting for that to uh, make its way to to retail at this point. But uh, they're hard at work at it behind the scenes. That's really exciting. I can't wait to play it. Super stoked. That's going to be one that I feel like is going to have to be a Gen Con play because of how big that game is. Oh, I'm excited. Hopefully we have Gen Con this year. Yeah, if Gen, Con, if Gen Con happens, I think they're, we're definitely planning on running events, but things are up in there at this point. Is it going to be like last year where all you do the whole time is run events? I think I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I mean, that was, that was a pretty brutal schedule. I think I'm definitely going to be doing less of it because I, I was doing that mainly because I wanted to see as many games run and get as much feedback as possible for sort of final tweaking and editing that we were doing at that process. So now that now that it'll be a completed, you know, out of the box game with, a, you know, a full, fully edited rule set and all that stuff, uh, I can uh, I can loosen my grip a little bit and let others uh, take the reins. Nice. That makes sense. 
I'm, I'm really excited for you. It also looks like it has a pretty good review on Board Game Geek already, too. Yeah, well, uh, I hopefully uh, people like it more than Shut Up and Sit Down did. So. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 feels like the tragedy. Tragedy. I remember listening to the Tuesday night episode where you came on after that, and it seems like I mean, you know, no matter what they say, successful Kickstarter. There was still a lot of hype online, so you know, one uh, one negative thing isn't going to stop the people who love it, right? Right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get into the hands of fans and, and of, of Vampire the Masquerade and, and the people who, who played at the convention who enjoyed themselves. So uh, I'm, I just can't wait to get it out. Oh, I bet so. It's super exciting. So when is it scheduled to come out? Do you, you guys have an estimated date? Hopefully they'll have it by Gen Con, but with everything that's happening uh, in the world these days, who knows? <laughs> oh, come on, pandemic schmandemic. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, we were kidding. Uh, we were joking last night. Uh, I had an Old Navy order. Like, this is the most first world problem, but it's three weeks behind schedule. I haven't got my $7 gold earrings and my two tank tops. Stupid hey, pandemic. Why do you need new clothes? <laughs> it's not like you're going outside or anything like that. Because I will emerge from this quarantine like a phoenix from the ashes with a new wardrobe <laughs> and really long hippie style hair. I'm going to have the long hair for the first time uh, in like 10 years, I swear. <laughs> that's so great. Well, okay, we've talked about uh, the games you've made. Is, is there more of your resume that you would like to present for those who do not know you? No, I mean, that's, that's what people would, I mean, that's what people know me in the board gaming world. Uh, I'm actually working with a team on a video game at this point, so I'm branching Ooh. out a little bit, yes. Do you have any details you're allowed to give on that? Um, the company is called Strife AI, and they focus primarily on machine learning. And so Ooh. they brought me in as a uh, head developer to help them develop the machine learning into playable game stuff. So it's just a small team of four or five guys, and uh, we've been cranking on stuff here for three or four months now, and hopefully we'll have some release uh, into Steam at some point. So I'm very excited for it. It's It's been Really interesting transitioning my skills from, you know, the hobby board game market to uh, video games and stuff like that. So it's uh, been very, very uh, interesting. That's so exciting. I can't wait to see what that's like. Let us know whenever it hits Steam. Sure will. For sure. I want to ask a few more questions about that. But I think before we do, we should crack our drinks because in the last interview, it was like 30 minutes in. I was like, oh, no, beer. <laughs> <laughs> so I say we do that and then we will dive in because I have a couple of questions about that. And I think that'll lead us nicely. Uh, do you want to let us know what you are drinking today? Yes. Uh, here's the crack. Mm. Ooh, satisfying. Beautiful. This is a platform beer company, Haze Jude. Uh, it's a hazy India pale ale with notes of tropical fruit, pine, and grapefruit. Uh, alcohol by volume, 6%. It has a Play-Doh number. I don't know what Play-Doh is. 14.6. Uh, and the all-important for those who drink pale ales, IBU is 46. I wonder what the Play-Doh number would be in reference to. I don't even know what a Play-Doh number is. I don't either. Is it like P-L-A-T-O, like Plato, or like... Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. Huh. I'm gonna have to look that up. The beer just must bring, it must bring on the philosophy. That's it. <laughs> I mean... As you drink it, you philosophize about just life, the universe, and everything. Let's see. Plato on beer. I love Haley the name is of Googling that. this to look it up. Uh, ben, tell us about how's how's it taste? How's the profile? 
Oh, I'll take my first sip now. I've been waiting. Oh, oh, it's a whole thing. Beer, beer tasting on podcast. So I've I've had this before. Uh, Platform Beer Company is a local Cleveland beer company that I'm in Cleveland or west side of Cleveland that is doing deliveries. So I've I've gotten two deliveries at this point, and this is uh, one of the beers that I got a second time because I enjoyed it so much the first time. Uh, I drink a lot of IPAs. It's the reason I drink beers. I didn't like beers before I discovered IPAs, so I'm one of those uh, hipsters who drinks only IPAs. But I mean, <laughs> no shame. I need Haley here in order to be able to uh, really <laughs> give me the flavor profile because I don't have anything super, super uh, creative with the way I would describe this. But I mean, the way they describe it is tropical fruit, pine, and grapefruit is 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 pretty strong. It's got. Uh, a very nice attack, so you get all of those flavors really bold up front, and then unlike a lot of other IPAs that finish with like a lot of sour bitter- bitterness, this one tape because I think the attack is so strong, it tapers off and feels like really smooth. It's like a s- they make a lot of session IPAs that are you know that have that lower IBU, so you can like you know drink it and it's smoother. It it's mm-hmm. a I like it because it's a smooth IPA, but it also has that flavor really strong that I'm looking for. Hmm, that's interesting. It sounds really good. Sounds delicious. It's and it's called Haze Jude. Haze Jude, which is a great name. Yeah, I got my Beetle shirt on today. My favorite shirt ever. It's my fitting. Beetle shirt. So represent the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds delicious. We are drinking. Uh, we've been getting literally everything from Rough Tail Brewing lately. Uh, we've talked about they've had a, have a walk up window where you can park, walk up, and buy crowlers that they're selling off their kegs. And this is No Puns Please, which is a Hellas lager. I have literally zero other information on it because it's just in a uh, neutral can, I guess you would call it. Yeah, they basically fill the crowlers that day and then they use a Sharpie like, this is Hellas lager. (laughs) And that's it. But it works. It's got a nice, a little bit of a haze to it, but it's a very, very light color. It looks very thin. It looks like Budweiser thin. Like Bud Light thin. But it tastes much better. There's a little bit of sweetness in there. Ooh, that's a good. That's a good one. Very gentle. It is not attacking us as your beer is. Come on, Haley. Where's those creative taste profiles? This is the Wonder Bread of beer. It is. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic. Like everyone knows the flavor of it. It tastes like a beer, but it's, it's delightful. It's nothing crazy, nothing fancy, but you want to go back to it. It's good. It's just very gentle. Smooth, not too much carbonation. And it's fortified like Wonder Bread. Has it's a fortified, fortified flavor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll take it. That works for me. But it's very tasty. Oh, that is really good. We might have to get more of that. By the way, I found the, the Play-Doh. Ooh, what like is the Play-Doh it. rating? Play-Doh gravity scale is a measurement of the concentration of dissolved solids in a brewery wort. Tell us more about that, Delton. Whenever you brew beer and you first you know, soak the grains and everything like that, and you add in your sugars and you do your uh, boil, you have a gravity reading, which is considered your original gravity, and that tells you how many particles and things are suspended within that liquid. Generally, it's used to determine the alcohol percentage because initially you're going to have, like on a big heavy beer, you're going to be throwing in dry malt extract on top of your, you know, soaked grains, and you're going to throw in some brown sugar and all this other stuff, so you get a reading of a certain number. Usually it's like 1.14 or something. Uh, then after fermentation, when the yeast eat and devour the sugars, there's now less in 
uh, suspension within that liquid, so you get the specific gravity, which is a lower number, and there's little calculators you can type those into, and it gives you an estimated alcohol percentage. Ah. Boom, science. And so the particles, that's what makes his the hazy. Is that? Yes. There's yeah. still a lot. If there's a lot of particles hanging around still, it pr- produces that haze. And I know there's more to it than that. It's like it explained it to me like I'm five. Yes. Answer. Okay. Cool. And so what was your Play-Doh amount then? Uh, 14.6. This is meant to be a hazy beer. Now, I don't know how that correlates to gravity readings. And I, I have no clue. <laughs> but it's hazy. But we know kind of where it comes from. It sounds like it. a really good beer. What was the company that Ben... Gave us the the four pack of uh, uh, that was sibling revelry. Uh, that is yes. a beer that's in the city I live in, which is Westlake. But uh, I don't know if they're open during uh, the pandemic, so I was uh, unable to procure more of that. Otherwise, I would have definitely gone back to them. That IPA was so very good, and oh, that man. lavender wit was so very odd. I, they uh, I they don't make it. the lavender wit anymore. <laughs> What? <laughs> your dream has come true. Oh, man. <laughs> That's one that your your wife likes. Yes, right? yes. So no, no more lavender wit for, for my lovely wife, who it was her favorite beer. Man. Oh, man. Do you have any stored up? No, no. Ooh. Unfortunately, no. Man, that's always the hard thing when you don't know they're going to not produce it anymore and you don't keep any because it's just you never think it's going to happen. Well, Cleveland is just so lousy with breweries at this point that... Um. Uh, I almost never drink the same beer twice anymore. Everywhere I go and every place they they carry rotating handles and stuff like that. It's it's a it's a beer drinker's paradise out here. Hmm, that's pretty cool though. Yeah. Next time we go out there, we should For dive sure. a little into the beer scene. Definitely. Well, now that we've cracked the beers, I want to talk a little bit more about the game you're designing since it's you said that they work with AI learning, right? Machine learning. Machine learning, which is essentially AI that can become more intelligent, correct? Uh, yes, that like, is a way of saying it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the most technologically advanced in terms of things like that. Um, so how do, you, how do you take game design skills from a tabletop perspective and translate it to the video game perspective in this area? Well, the, the team, there, there are a lot of programmers. And they they specialize very much in machine learning and and programming video games, but they they wanted someone to direct them from the perspective of they're trying to put machine learning into a game, and they're like, well, what would make this interesting? What would make this fun? And I just met them at a at a buddy's. Uh, it's not a picnic. What do you call that? A cookout. <laughs> <laughs> And and we hit up the conversation and, and they sort of brought me in. And so it's a lot like what I do with my board game designing where we do rapid iteration and we sort of, they, they push a build and I take the build from GitHub and I play through, play it. And I basically say what's working, what's not working, what my concerns are from uh, the end user standpoint and and that. And sort of we iterate back and forth to to make the game more fun. It's just unlike in board with my board game design, when I tell them what I'd like to see change, they go ahead and do the changes. Whereas when I'm making board games, I go and make those changes. And uh, also we take it out to the public and we, we basically play tests and I, I run play tests and watch players boot it up and go through the menu and start playing the game and then do sort of debrief afterwards. And 
uh, take notes. So it's, it's a bunch of skills I've, I've learned from the process of designing board games, but it's just applied in a different way and with a team. So this is, I guess, my first co-design, you might say, uh, that because uh, I, I usually do all my board game design solo at this point. So it's, it's been interesting and fun and rewarding to actually like have a sounding board and a team to work with. So I'm very excited about the process. It has to be really fun. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the luckiest boy in the whole world because <laughs> I, I, I have no programming experience. And whenever these guys want to like set up anything like technological with me, it's just it's such an issue. <laughs> That's so funny. Because I'm so analog and they're so digital, but I think all, they also appreciate that perspective because they're so inured with video gaming and stuff like that, that there are things and aspects for like the end user that they don't even necessarily think about because they're just so used to coding and, mm. and that type of digital life. So uh, I think I'm really excited for, for how the things are progressing here. That's so neat. And it sounds like you're, you're really um, important for adding that kind of that human element. I mean, not that they're humans, not humans themselves, but like with you providing that, like I said, analog feedback and um, gathering that feedback and that information from the playtesters. You know, what, what kind of questions do you ask? What do you look for? You said that you watch them from boot up and then all the way to debriefing afterwards. Like, what are you looking out for? There's so many do's and don'ts for running playtests. And I've been doing it for over a decade at this point. but. Uh, I mean, the, the interesting thing is that it's way easier to blind playtest. I mean, you can basically everything is a blind playtest with, uh, with video games where it's not that way with, with board games or it's much harder to get to the blind playtesting stage in board games. And a blind playtest is where you, for, for a board game, it would be where you hand somebody the board game and they would open it up, read the rules, learn the game, teach the game, and then play the game. And for that reason, it's so much harder to get people to do that. Whereas in video games, you literally just hand them the controller and then watch them go. So I'm with a notebook and a recorder watching them, seeing where they struggle, trying to see what emotions they're experiencing, what things are frustrating them, which things are exciting them, which parts are where's the fun at so we can sort of focus on that and make more of that happen in the game and then afterwards uh some people like to do uh written questionnaires because people can be a quote-unquote more honest in those but i i always like to do verbal interviews simply because uh they go quicker and we can turn people over faster that way and you try not to ask leading questions so that you can get an honest assessment from the player of their experience and you try to find out what was working for them, what wasn't working for them. And then you try to test your assumptions of what you saw them reacting against the way they talk about that. So someone could look like they're having a bunch of fun. And then you ask them, did you enjoy that? And they're like, eh, it was, it was fine. And then you have to figure out why is there that discrepancy? Like what, ah. what is, what's the difference between, you know, their experience and what they're telling you and what, what is driving that? So that, that's a lot of, what you try to do. Sounds like you can also transfer those skills to a psychology laboratory. <laughs> 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 watching their interactions. That's what I was wondering. Like, um, I was going to ask, like, are you watching for like emotions and whatnot? Because emotions can tell, tell a lot about the game. But why do, you, why do you think there is that discrepancy sometimes with, between like what emotions they display and what they report at the end? Humans are emotional beings. And because of that, our, our rational brain, our emotional brain tend to be 
somewhat far apart. And it it's hard to put into words sometimes what you're experiencing unless you're a person who is used to doing that. So, you know, if I play when I play board games with other board game designers, we all have like a sort of close to shared language to speak about the experiences. And we can usually drill in with a great degree of specificity about exactly what we were thinking and why and and what the experience was. But if you if you give a board game to, you know, someone who's only played Monopoly and then expect them to talk with any level of specificity about exactly what they were experiencing, you're not going to get that experience. I mean, you're not going to get that level of, I don't know, introspection from them. So you want to make sure that whatever the bridges between their their emotional experience and what they were reporting back to you isn't too far because you want those things to be closer together because then if people have a positive experience, they'll be able to say, I had a good... You want people who have a positive experience to say they had a good time and not be able to... And not just wonder what they were experiencing. Okay, so really make the connection between I'm doing this, I'm feeling this. Correct. So... Just ballpark. How many play tests in your entire life do you think you've run? <laughs> oh, Haley. <laughs> I don't. I, don't. Uh, I mean, I've been doing game design for over a decade at this point. And uh, each board game that comes to market usually takes a year or two of design and development. And I go to two to three play test events each month, or at least that's what I aim for, although I have uh, uh, dip, peaks and valleys. So I, I've, I don't know. I just, I do it a lot. I mean, you, you talk about this, like it, it's a science. I mean, it really, it can be studied like a science, but I mean, that's how you're approaching this is not just, um, hey, like my game, but you know, what is your experience of this game? What specific mechanics um, are leading to these emotions? Can you relate your emotional experience to what you're doing? And so you really look at this from a very clinical almost perspective which I'm sure is very helpful in gathering that data and really tweaking your games and in this production process. Well, playtesting is a skill that can be learned. And uh, it is something that gathering feed, basically gathering feedback is, and, and taking feedback has been something I've been trained to do since college because I went to architecture school. And in that, you would do your design and you would put it up on the wall in what was called a review. And We'd have an eight-hour day where each person would go up and present for maybe 10 minutes, and then the, a, a panel of professors would basically pick at it and tear it apart for 20 minutes, and oh, you basically geez. had to <laughs> uh. defend your work in front of your peers or at least explain your work in front of your peers. And so if you're going to be doing design work of any type, you have to learn to take feedback and not be defensive and try and find the good bits and separate the wheat from the chaff and that. And it is a skill that can be learned. It just has to be practiced. And then I'm still trying to learn and improve. I mean, there are traps you can fall into. And then, you know, what do they call them? Schemas where Mm -hmm. you have a set way of thinking about things. And every once in a while, you got to reevaluate your schemas and see if those are working for you or if they're actually leading you to dead ends. So you know, I, I try not to be, I like to say that I'm, I'm well-practiced, but, I, you know, uh, it's like we say about uh, our board games, that easy to learn, but hard to master. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. That's awesome. That's fascinating. And, and again, using the word schemas, you can definitely get a job in a psych laboratory now, too. <laughs> <laughs> he knows the ways. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned a lot while we're talking about this 
uh, I actually saw in one of your tweets earlier today because I'm stalking the internet. Uh, but you talk about since you've been working in game design so long that you are building that experience, which you know, like I said, you said that a lot. Uh, one of the things with your games that I'm familiar with, the ones you've published, all of your games are focused around uh, like hidden roles or social deduction elements, at least from my perspective. And all of those fall into a category that tends to be a similar experience in terms of like games of hidden role type. You're going to have the same, not the same experience, but a similar experience for all of those. So what is it about hidden role social deduction games and the experience uh, that they give to the players that just clicks in your head? Like, what is it about that you love so much that that's your preferred like uh, category of design? Or would I guess you, you, could would say? you call it that even? Like yeah. Well, I started designing games. Uh, I mean, I first discovered hobby board gaming right when the game Resistance came out, and I I was deep into the role playing groups, and I had some friends, and we were running a, a a local convention for for role playing games. And I walked by the hall late one night, and I saw a bunch of people in a circle, and I was like, "What are they playing?" They're like, "Oh, it's Werewolf." I'm like. I don't know what that is. They said, oh, you know, like Mafia, like you played in school. And I'm from Michigan, and we didn't play Mafia in school. <laughs> Apparently, everyone played Mafia everywhere else. We I mean, I, heads did, up I didn't, so I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, 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 my entry into hobby gaming came from going over, being interested in those games and playing those games and being given an experience that I had never been able to experience before. And I... People like to say like, oh, social deduction games are about lying. It gives you an excuse to lie to your friends. And I don't feel that way at all. I think social deductions give you secrets, you know, little secrets that don't really oh. matter about anything, but they seem to have great import when you're within the magic circle of the game. And you get to make the decision about who you tell your secret or if you tell them the truth about your secret and all of that. And for some reason that just really, I don't know, really really captured my imagination. And at that time, after the resistance hit, everyone was trying to design a social deduction game that didn't need a moderator that would become more popular than Werewolf. I mean, it was just a boom time for social deduction games. Yeah, uh, Alan did Two Rooms in a Boom, and a whole bunch of other ones hit the market. And I just sort of got caught up in that excitement uh, to try and design a social deduction game to improve on the things that the flaws that I saw with the the games that were out there on the market at the time. I, I understand like that that excitement piece of having a secret. They say like, you know, always do your phone interviews wearing no pants because you know something that they don't know. Or, like there's that <laughs> boost of confidence, like I have a secret. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You guys have your pants on now, right? No comment. I have pajama pants on. I'm still not making a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I have pajamas on 99% of recordings, so... Well, I, I really like the way that you put that, having having a secret versus lying. Because when you think about lying, you think, of, oh, that's a negative connotation. You're being sneaky, you're being deceptive with your friends. But having a secret, it's it's more of that that privacy, that trust versus mistrust. And like they're all your friends, theoretically speaking, or random people you meet at conventions. But just having that element in there kind of creates a little bit more suspense, even with those that you trust. And that is fun. It is very fun. It's very fun to do that kind of stuff. Um, so what is it? that you tried to bring to the table with your designs that were, um, in your eyes, a better implementation of an existing mechanic or something new that you brought that you hadn't seen within this genre? Um, I, I can be 
clear on that. Uh, Bitten is a social deduction game where you can win without having to talk. The, mm-hmm. the bluff is not in a verbal bluff. It is in how you play your cards. So it's basically the poker bluff in a social deduction game. Yeah. Uh, Red Scare was me trying to work out a social deduction game where you can win and not have to lie. No players have to lie in Red Scare, and you can still play, play a good game. Uh, there are benefits if you can lie skillfully, but for the players who are uncomfortable with lying, you're never given a card like you are the spy and you must lie. Okay. And then uh, Three Laws of Robotics was an inversion of where normally you get the card and your secret is your role. And I was wondering, well, what if the only card you didn't know was who you were and you knew everybody else's role? What would, what would the game feel like as a social deduction game if you weren't trying to figure out other people, you're trying to figure out yourself? So my social deduction games each take the sort of base formula of, of a social deduction that was brought into existence with Werewolf and, and, and iterated upon with Resistance and, and the games that came before. And that's what I'm trying to add to uh, the genre. That's one of the things I think I really have enjoyed the most about a lot of your games is because I'm not one that does well in a situation where I have to verbally lie and spin people around and try to get around them. I love One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I'm garbage at it because I always end up giving myself away or just looking like I give myself away because I'm a terrible liar. I have horrible tells. Haley knows them all. (laughs) But that's what I liked about Bitten so much is that you can just, it's based on the card play. That's how you determine what you think people are doing, what role you think they have, and you can win based on that card play. And I really just enjoy when the mechanics of the game itself is how you determine people's, you know, hidden agendas and how you win versus can I talk you know, smoother than you can. Yeah, and and the social deduction games where you talk your way out are the are the behemoths of the genre. There is no way I could I could punch against that. And too often I see people try to go up against, you know, Werewolf or the Resistance or Two Rooms to Boom for that matter. And 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 try to hit, you know, you know, that same sort of feel of so, you know, that they're so used to. And it's just like, well, you know, like people are gonna play it and they might like it. But most people are going to fall back to the standards, you know. That's why they're there and that's why they have the popularity that they have is because they've, they've so well cornered the market and you're not going to find it. It's going to be harder to find a way in that way. And that makes sense. It's, it's tough to tackle those that most people tend to love. But I think part of the problem with, it's not necessarily that you're punching up. It's that people aren't trying to look outside of those games that they've fallen in love with. I feel like the werewolf crowd is so diehard werewolf that anything else they don't even want to approach. And I feel like that's a bigger issue than the game quality, for sure. I feel like you do a really good job of breaking out of that, though. Yeah. Like, with uh, Three Laws, I mean, like you said, you don't you don't have to lie the in- at all in Three Laws, or you can. People are going to accuse you of lying no matter what because they can't see their, their card on their head. And it's just a really fun game, and it's one that you know we've played with close friends. It's one we played with new friends. One we played with complete strangers, and each time it creates this trust versus mistrust, camaraderie versus uh, mistrust within the same game. Sometimes, and it's really exciting and really fun. <laughs> I'm glad you guys enjoy it. Three Laws is always good, no matter who we show it to. Yeah. Everybody always enjoys Three Laws, and I think part of the thing that makes it uh, makes it go over so well is it's also simple. Like, it yes. doesn't take a lot of rules explanation, and there's not a lot of questions. People usually get it 
the very first round, they're like, boom, I've got every single element now. <laughs> you know, I still like the diehard Asmol fans are like, ooh, three lost. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, I have to say, Red Scare, communist game. A- any communist game, I just absolutely adore. And so whenever I saw Red Scare the first time, I was like, Delton, Delton, we have to get that. That was, I think that was the first game that I um, knew about with yours. Like, I, that's the first one I had ever heard about. I think so. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorites. That was the first one I, I got published. It was it was a pretty magic moment the when the uh, when uh, the fine folks at Pandasaurus handed me a uh, it's not a white box copy but it's basically the the preprint copy. I hadn't yeah. seen any of it. It basically went into the, you know into development and I met them at Origins for a dinner and they said we got something to show you and they pull out the box and I was blown away. It was it was so exciting to to see it all all together and as a physical object That's after awesome. you know. You know, you do all this work and you have a way that you think it could look. And then they brought it back and it was so much better than I had even imagined. It was it was it was an incredible moment. That's awesome. That's beautiful. I, I mean, we really enjoy all of your games that you've created. And they're all like they're all the social deduction, but they're all so different and so unique. You don't really get into this pattern. I mean, they all have the social deduction element that we've played, but it's not like you're recreating the same game. They're all completely different. And they're wonderful. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, so I guess that leads into a really good segue is what's your proudest moment as a game designer? I mean, the the first time I I got that that copy in my hands, it was electric. But like, really, I think the, the moment that that made it real for me was when I was in a game store, my local friendly game store. Uh, and I saw my game on a, on a shelf and I was like, that that's it. That's my game. It's got my name on it. <laughs> like, I did it like I I, I rang that bell, so it I can I can proudly say, I mean, I know a lot of people say like, oh no, even if you're not published and you do game design, like you can call yourself a game designer, but like a lot of that imposter syndrome feeling evaporates when you can point to something that's a product that's on a shelf somewhere with your name on it. You can say like, I I I did that. That that is me. That's cool. <laughs> a shelf all over the country. That's true now. Yeah, you're everywhere. Yeah. Popular. Are you like uh, Neil Gaiman in that airport where you sign all the copies on the shelf just randomly? I uh <laughs> I get very uh sheepish when when people point out me as a designer of the game that they're either playing or I don't know. It's always it's always been so strange when someone asks me to sign something. I'm like, "Really? Like, you know me." Like <laughs> why do why do you need my name on a thing but uh so i i don't know i i i try to be humble about it because i i want the game to be the game and not to be a vessel for me to be more in the world if that makes sense like i think a lot of people i a lot of people do creative projects because they want that project to be the project i'm not i'm not in it quote, I guess, for the fame. I mean, if I was going, wanted to be famous, I wouldn't be in board game design. <laughs> be a serial killer. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> but you don't get to be famous for a serial killer to most, until after you're caught. It's true. You're still famous, though. You're still famous. Look at the Zodiac killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should all aspire to that level of serial killer. That's why don't we move this subject, <laughs> this analogy, in the best of both worlds. <laughs> no, to defrauding McDonald's. There you go. And then you oh, become famous. McMillions. Yeah, yes. we just finished it today. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's a very interesting documentary. 
and I think that the one FBI agent, what was his name? Doug. I'm only halfway through, so no spoilers, please. Oh, dang. Okay. Okay. Doug. <laughs> you like you like Doug, the FBI agent who the, the one who oh, yeah. laughs a lot. He's a ham. He's, he's a the ham. best. He's I just want to hang out with him and have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny. He's the best character. Even though I know it's real life, he's still a character. He is a character. Yep. And so for you, it was just seeing your product out in the stores, but it wasn't for like the fame part. It was the fact that people enjoy your product so much they want to carry it and they want to sell it, and others are really enjoying it as much as as much as you do yeah and 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 i gotta say a lot of that you know i mean as much as that but it's also being like oh like i did it and i can i can say this is this is a thing like when i was in high school and skateboarding was popular i i got a skateboard and i skateboarded every single day but i refused to call myself a skater until i could land a kickflip and so for like a year, I practiced and practiced and practiced. And I had like skate shoes and skate clothes and all that stuff. But I didn't want to wear it to school until I was a <laughs> skater because I didn't want someone to call me out as a poser. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was that was the worst. So I, I sort of carry that with me to this day where it's just like, I don't want to say something about myself until I have verifiable proof out in the real world somewhere that that sort of uh, validates yeah validates the way i i I feel about myself personally so uh, having having games on the shelf uh validated myself as a as a game designer so the real question is did you ever miss a kickflip after you learned to do it (laughs) oh all the time but hey if you give me enough chances i could do it i feel like that skateboarding though is anytime somebody learns something like check it out i learned this trick and then 40 tries later they finally get it again but hey, he got it once as a standard, man. That's what matters. That's what matters. <laughs> yeah, so it's not like I landed my first kickflip and called myself a skater. I was like, no, I did it. Now I need to master this before. <laughs> can you still do a kickflip? I still have my skateboards. I can <gasps> still kickflip. Um, it was not nearly my most impressive skill when I was done skating. So as my skills have atrophied, I can still do it. Nice. Very nice. Have to sharpen those up. You got plenty of time in quarantine now, right? What else? What else are we gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had snow out here in Ohio, so I couldn't quite Ooh. go out and, and what? Uh, yeah, it's we got a couple inches here the past couple days. So, oh my gosh, I'm glad that's I didn't, wild. I'm glad I didn't run out and do all the gardening that I wanted to because I would have been losing my mind. The weather has been so strange here in Oklahoma. We had a day that was like 90, 91 degrees. Now that was three days in a row because that's when I planted my summer oh. vegetables because the farmer's <laughs> almanac was said, you're good. <laughs> it was like 90, 91, a couple days in a row. It lied. And then it dropped to like 30 for a couple days, went to the mid 40s, and then it snowed, and then it rained, and then it was hot in like the 70s. Now and it's it does 70s not again today. know what it wants. Yeah. It's so strange. It's so salty because I had... Like it was three days in a row of like 90 degree weather. And the farmer's almanac was like, you're good to plant your summer veggies because in the climate that we're in, we shouldn't expect another freeze. I was like, all right, I'm going to plant my veggies. Well, then five days later, it froze. Now my peppers are dead, but my potatoes are still alive and my lettuce and my carrots. They are living, they are thriving, they are living their best life. Uh, I have a secret for you uh, in case you haven't heard. The world is broken. Uh, Everything (laughs) is broken. (laughs) No. That is a true statement right now, it feels. Someone uh. needs to hit the, just turn it off and on again and see if. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most true statement of the evening. Maybe that's what this pandemic is. We just got to turn it off turn and on. Turn it off and turn it back on. Like all the dolphins have 
return to the canals or whatever this stuff we see back online. in the space back in the space so long and, and thanks, thanks for, for all, all the fish. fish whales have now dropped to earth <laughs> there you go <laughs> so how are you spending your quarantine ben uh it's working from home uh playing video games for the first time you know really in in years so you know all my board games our designs are on hold and my entire social calendar got you know nuked from space as i crossed <laughs> Every every convention that I was going to go to off and all of my playtesting nights have gone away and all the board game nights I host at my house have gone away. It's just uh, just uh, me and my wife hold up here waiting for waiting for the thumbs up to uh, go back out into the wide world, which will be different and scary once we're out there again. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're able to to work from home. And I know you guys have had kind of an adjustment. Now, how have you been, you know, keeping the your self-care alive? You no know, therapist means like how do you how do you self-caring? How are you finding enjoyment during the quarantine? Well, me and Delton get on the PS4 and play Overwatch together and pwn some noobs. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean our noob selves get pwned? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Uh I you know, I just uh I kind of look forward to, I keep telling myself that this is not permanent and things will get back to normal eventually and, and just look, look forward to, to the brighter days ahead and, and everyone's going to be really excited for game nights here in the future. So that, that's, that's something that keeps me going. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where it's like, you have a game night, somebody comes over, you're like, okay, shoes go off over here, spray those down with this spray, go wash your hands, then you can come to the table. We wipe your seat down every time somebody comes over rotations at the table to move your piece everyone stands six feet away okay it's your turn to move your piece i just have a feeling that cleanliness and the idea of how close you are to somebody is about to change permanently for at least maybe not permanently but for an extended period of time because even if they give us the okay it's like well but do i really want to and do i trust (laughs) our government yeah yeah, speaking of speaking of 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 social deduction games about having secrets and trust, I I, I really think it's going to be an exercise in that. It's going to be about who do you trust? Who do you trust is living a living cleanliness uh, uh, and and social distancing still? Uh, you, who do you trust in your home? And and who do you trust who would would not come if they had the zombie bite on their neck? So. Oh it, yeah, it's going to be much smaller, more intimate groups here for a while. But hey, I. Maybe I'll uh, stretch my game design in different directions because usually, the, for me, the more players, the better because I do a lot of social deduction games. So maybe I'll do something small form now. That's true. Or you just have your next giant game idea, which is some sort of game about who you trust out in public trying not to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little off topic. This has really been just meta- this big game right yeah. here. This is Ben's game. Really oh, here's the game. Here's the game. You, you go out there, and uh, for every stranger that you lick, you get ten points. <laughs> and I'll just keep a, a, a like a a running tally. You email me or message me BK Game Design on Twitter and, and Facebook, <laughs> and I'll just I'll put it up on that scoreboard. You gotta you gotta take a picture of the person afterwards, and their face must have like a wet lick mark on it. What if it has I'm a lick not... of satisfaction? <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> uh, I guess we could let here, here, here. We'll let people rate the lick on a scale of one to five, and those are bonus points on top of the lick. Okay. I think I'm gonna not <laughs> officially endorse this. <laughs> oh, I am. 
the uh, the 100%. thoughts the thoughts and beliefs of Ben Canellis are not necessarily the thoughts and beliefs of the Mouth House Games podcast, but they are. <laughs> it's a disclaimer at the bottom of the screen. Oh goodness, you could though move to small form factor game design. I guess. Um, have you thought any of any ideas for like a two player or a single player game? I never play games two player, and I never play games single player. So it's it's not my wheelhouse. It's not my my interest. I mean, I. I, you know, I'm, I've been incredibly blessed that I, I have this, this video game project as, as a way to keep myself, uh, keep these juices flowing in my head while, while we're sur- sort of quarantined here or, or social distanced or however you want to call it, because it's been nice to, you know, I, I don't need to get together with a bunch of people to, to play test something. They can just send me a build and I can play it right there and then give them the feedback there. So I, uh, it sort of made the transition just happen more strongly, I guess, at this point. It's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's nice, though, that that gives you uh, a place to flex your creative muscles and your game design muscles, but you don't have to, since you're not much of a two-player and single-player game, uh, tabletop game person, then that's really a way for you to let that loose and hopefully be fulfilling during this, which it sounds like it is. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely enjoyed it. I, I enjoy game design. It's why I do it. And we enjoy your game designs. Hey. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> You know, I was thinking, um, three laws could definitely be definitely be played over Skype or something. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know what? You really could play that over like Skype or Discord or however people want to do that. Yeah, because I mean, you just hmm. as long as two people have have the same game, then well, that could easily be played. I guess the only issue is if you have the same number of your role. Yeah, but I mean, if you're that, that's really statistically not likely to happen. I mean, it could happen, but. We can always make it where somebody could call that out, like the other two players or wherever. Like, hey, you guys have the same role. Draw new ones. Well, I was just played a, a twenty-person game of Werewolf over Zoom recently. And, wow. Uh, oh. Yeah. It, and they had a little system set up that would give each person a secret role, and then when you died, you would click "I died," and it would reveal what role you were. So, uh, I've been, I've been keeping myself busy yeah. <laughs> with some, <laughs> with some, with some board gaming, and I've been kicking around on Board Game Arena and Tabletop Simulator, but. Boy, there's something about playing over a screen that just doesn't scratch the same itch. So it really yeah. doesn't. I've I've been playing uh playing Magic with Brian. We've been doing some drafts in Tabletop Simulator, and I played a couple games on Tabletopia with some friends. But there's something about the cat not jumping up on the table to screw everything up <laughs> that really takes away the magic. <laughs> yeah, no Steve to knock water on my copy of Pax Pamir. You know, without that there, it's just not the same. Yeah, is there anything you want to make sure that we touch on, Ben? No, I, 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 I really enjoy you too. I really, your, your, your podcast is always, is always a ray of sunshine in my feed, especially now in these days when I'm, I'm like, oh, it's my friends and they, they're, they're in my ear. So, uh, you know, I just think everyone out there, just be safe, take, you know, be, be smart about the way you keep yourself socially distanced and, uh, you know, things will get back to normal eventually. And until then play single player, two player games, and then, <laughs> you know, we'll play larger and larger play counts until we're eventually back up to playing, uh, uh, blood feud, the mega board game with up to 32 <laughs> players. So we'll get there eventually. Oh my gosh, really? 32 players. <laughs> yep. That's uh, amazing. Do you want to tell us, a, like give the elevator ish pitch of blood feud? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm actually going to be playing an online mega game here coming up called Draft Night. Uh, so the mega games are definitely uh, 
evolving here during this uh, time of social distancing. People are still getting together on Discord and other forms to do it. Uh, and you heard me say the word mega game here a couple times. You're probably wondering what that is. They're these large scale games, uh, usually 50 to 200 players. They play in around eight to 12 hours. Uh, they are incredible experiences, but they take, you know, eight to 12 people to run so much space, so much time, so many people. They just don't happen very often. They're very popular in the UK and they're struggling to sort of get a, a toehold in, in the United States. And whenever I'm at a convention, I get the chance to play a mega game. I, it's just, it's the highlight of my convention every single time. And I thought, how can I give this experience to more people in a more manageable way? And so I created a game which we're calling a mega board game. It's not a true mega game, but it takes those mega game elements unless you play with eight to 32 players and about two to three hours with one person running it. So a lot of those mega game elements are in there. So it's sort of a blend of an RPG, a bit of LARPing, but it's got board game elements to sort of give you some mechanical crunch to everything. And uh, you sort of, you break into teams of two to four players and you wrestle for control of New York City under the cover of night, uh, clans of vampires uh, fighting against uh, different human factions. It's a, it's a ton of fun and uh, it's the biggest project board game design that I've, I've, I've done up to this point. And hey, it's not a social deduction game, but there's plenty of lying and trickery that can be involved. So don't worry about that. <laughs> plenty of secrets. <laughs> tons of secrets i look forward to playing that yeah hope lot. hopefully once we get back to conventions being a thing uh we can actually take part and try it out a little bit even though i'm very bad at games where i have to hide my secrets from people <laughs> well don't worry the, the 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 nice thing about it is in, in in mega games each it's about division of labor and hierarchy and so players are responsible for very different things so in in blood feud each player on the team is responsible for very different things. So you can go to the council and vote on things, or you can go to the market and purchase things. But if you don't want to be a talky-talky, chatty-chatty person, you can be in the cityscape and move your units around, sort of like risk style, like area control and board management. Or you can be the person setting out the orders that uh, are sort of secret things that your units are going to be doing at the end of the round. So there's... There's different stations with very different game, you know, gameplay styles, and hopefully you find something that that talks to you and that you want to do and help your teammate with. Yeah, that sounds really neat. That's nice to know that you don't have to be the super talking, hiding things from people because that's, like I said, that's what I'm bad at. So that sounds awesome. But you could be, which is what I like to do. There you go. So we both can have a place on a team for once. <laughs> <laughs> yes. High five. Oh, that's, eh. a, that's a really stretched high five. You know, Ben, we really appreciate you. You know, you've always been such a great friend and you've really been a wonderful supporter of the podcast. Like I said, you gave us our, our very first review copy. In a way, you took away that imposter syndrome from us. We were like, oh my God, oh, we're a true. real podcast. We got a review copy. Yep. And so, you know, for multiple reasons, for your friendship, for your support of our podcast and for really encouraging us early on in our show, you know, we, we really value you and we really appreciate your time today. You guys are great. I only wish you didn't live all the way out in Oklahoma. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> you can join us. The housing market is dirt cheap. Oh, yeah. But the weather sucks, and so does the government. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! Pew, pew! Well, I guess that that's going to wrap up, I think, the episode today. Uh, ben, where can everybody find you? Uh, I'm at BK, that's Benjamin Canellis, the letter B, K, Game Design on Twitter, and I don't really use Instagram anymore, but Facebook as well. So if you want 
to follow me there or message me there. I, I'm pretty active because I don't have much else to do <laughs> these days. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I got some more games and projects that'll be coming out eventually. So if you want to hear about them, just follow me on those platforms. I'm really excited for both your board game and your new video game. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I'm a big video game player, even though I don't, I've been doing it so much more lately. So I'm excited to see that. If you happen to need a play tester, let me know. And again, thank you for <laughs> taking care of my Delton in the evenings. I've been working late and Ben has been keeping Delton company and making sure he doesn't get into trouble by playing games with him. Yep. Doing hood rat stuff. Doing hood rat stuff with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no pandemic going to stop no hood rat stuff. Nope. No Overwatch going to stop. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in to the Malthouse Games podcast. If you have a topic you want us to cover, a question for us to answer, or a game you want us to look at, feel free to send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can also find us on all social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K, and you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. At Squirrely Geek. Uh, we also need to give a shout out to our Patreon backers, which are Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. Woo! Thank you all for supporting us and joining us on our streams, which, by the way, everyone, we have been streaming every Friday night from 7 p.m. till between 9 and 10. We just kind of talk to all of you in chat, play some tabletop games, have a beer, and try to relax and enjoy our Friday evening. And we will try to guess your username. We will try to match the person with the username if you log on. It's been really fun. We've been failing at that miserably. If you missed this last week, you missed Delton getting body painted on camera. It was just on my neck. But still, he got a, he got a sweet snake on his neck. But that's sadly gone forever. I accidentally deleted that from Twitch. Accidentally, quote unquote. <laughs> Don't worry. We have a contest that if we reach 50 Twitch followers, Delton will get a tramp stamp. I will do a fake tramp stamp with body paint on cam. And whoever will we'll draw from like the 50 people who follow us and whoever wins and is active in the chat gets to choose which tramp stamp Delton gets. That's how it works. We'll make it happen. Yeah. I think that's all we need to do. So until next Wait, time. I have a question for oh. you two then. Yes. yes. Do you finish your beer? Because my beer is finished. That's uh, the sound of empty I, beer. I, I don't know if you can hear that. I finished mine. I'm almost done with mine. We got a 30 ounce crowler though to split. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's one quart. And when you split it between two, uh, is this a 16 ounce beer glass? It's a 12 ounce. 12 ounce beer glass. So it's, it's two standard beer glasses. It's like it's a, a beer extra. and like it's, a fifth. Let's see, mental math. It's a beer and a quarter for each of us. There you go. So Haley's I've finishing her last quarter. I've never been able to tell if you drink during the entire <laughs> podcast. Oh, we do. Or you just open the beer, have a sip and sort of set it aside. So, <laughs> but I drank my beer and I was like, I wonder if, okay, this is the, we we do this is we proper plan malt house gaming etiquette for any future guests <laughs> finish your beer before finish. the recording is over yes we always finish our beers sometimes we'll end and have some left depending on how heavy the second beer is it's very rare though but that's that's why it's good to have two people on the podcast because while one's talking the other one can be drinking like mine's finished yep. now delton's is finished and put back a whole quart uh what is that whole quart of beer yeah one quart of beer the hard part Ooh. is when you have to burp you have to look away from the mic and try not to let the mic pick it up and be really quiet. And sometimes... Well, I've been doing that the entire time as well. <laughs> social distance high five, Ben. It, it is the most like uncomfortable thing to try to burp quietly. It's really strange. <laughs> Brings me back to the, college. The things we go through for you wonderful listeners. Egg, exactly. Exactly. This is showmanship right here. <laughs> 
We are true, classy people. True, classy people. (laughs) Well, back to your outro. There you go. (laughs) So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye. 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 Ben, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed this this recording.